0: Well, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. We're in a war. We're in a war. It's not a war with guns. It's not a war with tanks. It's not a geopolitical war over territories or countries or areas. It's not a geopolitical war. Uh, it's not a, a political war necessarily in a country. You might say that's the case, but that's not the war I'm talking about. We're actually in a war... That's an emotional war, an emotional war. And uh, we live in it all the time, and many times we willingly, voluntarily make ourselves casualties of this war. We play right into their hands. And so this, this is an emotional war we live with outrage, being upset, being aghast all the time. And it's impacting many of us. Let me just read. This is from an article that just came out. This is called, How the Polarizing Effect of Social Media is Speeding Up. It's from NPR.org, September 9th, by these three folks here. I was going to read their name, but the third one looked too hard, so we're not going to read that. (laughs) But I'll give you, if you later you want to actually have the content, I can give you the site on that. So it says, when you log on to Facebook... Twitter or YouTube you think that what you are seeing is a neutral reflection of your community and what your community is talking about when you interact with it you think that you are getting feedback from your peers from other people online but in fact whoop, but in fact what you were seeing and what you were experiencing are choices made by these incredibly sophisticated Automated systems that are designed to figure out exactly what combination of posts, what way to sequence those posts, how to present them to you will most in a way that will most engage certain very specific cognitive triggers and cognitive weak points that are meant to get certain emotions going. Right? So right from the get-go, it's not neutral. It's not a big pile of information that you're sorting through. There are algorithms and very smart people and bots detecting what you're searching, what gets you most worked up. It doesn't matter what it is. They are emotionally charged. It says they are meant to trigger certain impulses and instincts that will make you feel really compelled to come back to the platform to spend a lot of time on it. Because afterwards, their point isn't just to be helpful. Their point is to get you on their platform so they can sell your time to advertisers. Right? If you don't pay for YouTube, who is? That's not free, right? It might be free to you, but it's not free. So they get very specific how to know how long, what content will get you most on there, and they sell that to advertisers. It says, those upsetting posts are the things that are most engaging to us, because they speak to a sense of social compulsion of a group idea idea that is under threat moral outrage specifically is probably the most powerful form of content online and it's the kind of content that engages your eyeball and most engages your emotions i see that moral outrage that's the magic number what gets you on there the longest, right? It's not just, hey, where's a good place to fish? It's, look what they did to this lake. Wow, they ruined it, right? Boom, you switch from information to outrage. So, what the systems that govern YouTube and govern what you see realized was that to serve that viewership goal, they would need to be providing new content that would create some sort of a sense of crisis and some sort of a sense that you and your identity are under threat, right? It's not neutral. There's a war with outrage. They've figured out that to get you on their platform, however long it is, or whatever it is, I mean, whatever platform you go to, the longer you'll stay there is the more outraged. And it doesn't matter what the outrage is. They don't really care. They're going to feed you, they have all the data. How long you're on a site, how many clicks, how many seconds, how many additional clicks. This constant data is filling this out. So if you're outraged about the environment, you better believe those are the posts that are going to be fed to you. If you're outraged about something else, if you're outraged about a political party, it doesn't matter which party. Whichever one makes you most mad, that's the post you're going to see. And uh, it just goes on and on and on. We think, I'm just looking it up. I just wanted to find the news. It's not neutral. It's sending you something to make you outraged, which will make you stay on it longer and share it more frequently. And that's their model. That's their business model. And I've talked about this before. Many people have talked about it. But what is it doing to you? What is it doing to me to live in a state of outrage? and anger, to be stirred up. What is it doing? So we want to talk about that today and talk about it. And this is my main point, that we want to rescue your soul to the refuge of God. I think this is the rescue attempt. This is people who are prisoners of war, us, that we willingly enter the prison. And we need to be rescued out of there. We need to rescue ourselves out of there and return to God. We don't want to live in a state of constant outrage. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for our society. It's not good for the gospel. We want to deal with that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about it in Psalm 37. What's amazing to me is that a psalm written thousands of years ago can speak to this very issue of outrage. Of outrage that gets us worked up and fired up. So Psalm 37, Heather and I actually visited one of the, one of the churches we visited this summer. The, the man preaching went to this psalm, and I went, oh, man, this, I've got to do a sermon on this psalm. So I'm not copying him. He had different points, but just this psalm jumped out to me. So we're in Psalm 37. We're going to do verses 1 through 11, Psalm 37. He says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So that's our text today. Again, our main point is to rescue your soul to the refuge of God. Rescue it. Get it out of this place of outrage. So again, we're gonna talk about this war of outrage. Right? There's numerous articles and places you can go and, and the social dilemma. If you haven't watched that Netflix special, it talks all about this. But so does David, King David, thousands of years ago. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Fret is kind of an unfortunate English translation. Fret's kind of wimpy. Like I fret that I left the oven on. Like I'm just kind of worried about that. I fret that I, you know, sent the wrong email. I didn't mean to send. And I fret that I left my lights on in the parking lot. Those are kind of things you fret about, worry about. That's a little bit light. The word fret is to heat oneself in vexation. It's words for to burn or to start a fire. That's what it's getting at. It's not just a light worry that you know maybe I forgot to tell my boss I was going to be gone Monday. I'm just a little worried. He's in wonder where I went. That's a light. That's just, I'm, I forgot something. This is to get worked up about something. And to heat oneself, this is, I always have a few English grammar folks. This is what's called a reflexive verb, meaning the subject is doing the action, but also receiving the action, right? So if I shave myself, right? I'm shaving my face. That could be used in a reflexive way. Here, it's, you're getting yourself worked up. It's not that I'm telling you that you have a problem that you need to go deal with, and I'm getting you worried. You're doing it to yourself. You're heating yourself up. You're getting worked up. It's the idea that you're ruminating on something and becoming angry. All right? Enter the outrage of social media. It just keeps giving you more feeds and you get more mad and those idiots are doing it again and look at this inflation and I can't believe it and then I go to the gas pump and I can't believe it and then this and oh you're just mad. Now that's not saying there's not real problems and real concerns in our culture. This is not talking about there's a problem and I need to fix the problem. This is talking about I'm focusing on the problem. And it's seething underneath and it's burning inside me. And I'm getting very mad about this problem. Why won't anyone do anything? And there we go again. And then you just get in this like cycle with different social media and online and you get mad. And then, of course, what happens? You have trained your phone. You have trained. The algorithm knows you. It knows what gets you mad. And you just get more of the feed. And then you get more mad. And then you get more of the feed. And then you get more mad. And it just is this cycle That goes on and on. And so, what's happening? What's happening to us? There's this other great book called Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge. He says this We're spending three hours a day using apps on our phones, 10 hours viewing media, consuming enough information each week to crash a laptop. We talk about unplugging, but we're enchanted by endless social media, circus of love and hatred, the vapid, the alarming, sensational, and unforgivable. We're snagged by every new notification. And while we've, we've always had our individual struggles and heartbreaks to deal with, now we have the tragedies of the entire world delivered to us hourly on our mobile devices. This is all very hard on the soul. Traumatizing, in fact. Exposure to traumatic events can traumatize us, and we're getting lots of it in our feed. It's like we've been swept into the gravitational field of a digital black hole that is sucking our lives from us. Does that resonate? Right? We're, we're prisoners of this thing. It's a cycle. It feeds on itself, and the more we get upset, the more we find feeds that get upset. and We bring the tragedy, and then we think about it, and we stew about it, and it just... It's not good for us. We can't handle it. We cannot bear it. We, it will ruin us. So he says fret now. This is a command. Do not get all worked up. Do not live in outrage. That's what he's saying. So he says to rescue your soul. That's what I'm to talk about. It's a rescue mission. So there's a bunch of don'ts. right? The this, this psalmist here gives us don'ts. Do not. These are all written as imperatives. Right? Imperative is a command. You must do. All right? It's not a suggestion. Please wash your hands. Wash your hands before you come back to the kitchen. Right? There's a difference. It's an imperative. So we have the imperative. Fret not. That's the first one. Don't get worked up because of evildoers. I right? Don't get that fire burning. And the second one is don't be envious. That's a whole other side where you can see and they're getting away with it. And they're prospering. And they're making millions. I mean, who's making all this money on this fentanyl stuff? Somebody is. And they're still producing it. And they're making millions of dollars. And people are getting wiped out. Like, that's frustrating. But some people are like, and they get away with it. And you get this envy and jealousy in a weird way. Like, how come they're prospering and they're doing well and they're harming people? And it it gets you right back into the cycle. Verse 8 says, refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. That's like, I'm actually going to do something about this. Forsake wrath. Abandon it. Forsake is to leave it completely. It's like to leave a, I'm going to leave this empty house. I'm never coming back to it. That's to forsake something. Says fret not yourself. So those are the don'ts. (laughs) Don't get worked up don't get envious, don't get angry, leave it alone, right? You're getting the strong, no, don't, stop. So then he says, there's some do's. What should we do? And there's several of these, actually a lot more of these. What should we do about this? Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Whew, right? Right? That's different than believe that he exists. That is, I'm actively going to keep... God knows. God sees that war in Ukraine. God sees political strife. God sees these addictions going on. God sees this murder. God sees him. He's got it. Not only does he see it, he foretold it. Right? There's going to be trouble. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Not just be mad about bad, but do good. What could I actively do in my week to make a difference? What could I do to serve the community? It could just be a neighbor. You know, you've got a neighbor that's widowed and alone and can use a companion or has a yard project you could do or serve our community. There's just endless ways to serve in our community or serve in a Awana. What could I positively do, not to solve the whole problem, right, to do good? What can I do that is a good, helpful serving, gospel, full of grace action, right? That's a good thing. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to do something good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. It's a very interesting word there, to befriend. To befriend. It's actually the word, it's a shepherding word. So to tend, pasture, shepherd. I've never been a shepherd. I've had dogs. I don't think that quite's the same. But, uh, you know, you can lock them up. I don't know, sheep, you got these things out. You're thinking of a shepherd in open country, and they're supposed to lead the sheep to where there's food and guide them to where there's water. They protect them from thieves and from wild animals that eat them, provide for them. And uh, so there's an action there. I just came across this little clip on Google. I know it's kind of small. I mean, you see the top one, you can barely see the little sheep's head caught in that river current. And then you see the boys come out there, and one's holding another boy. I know it's little. Should have had Mark's Photoshop help me, but I didn't. And they got the sheep, and then the last one is, da da the sheep is out and happy, right? This sheep was going to die. He was going to get sucked into that river, pulled down, and the shepherd comes in and gets it out. And that's the word for befriending faithfulness, shepherd faithfulness. That's why it's not just a passive, there's something active. I'm going to take my soul, and I'm going to be in charge of it. And I'm going to say, what does it need to be rescued from? Where do I need to lead it to? I need to shepherd my soul to faithfulness. I'm going to keep reading this Bible. I'm going to keep trusting this God. I'm going to keep praying and serving no matter what's going on. I'm going to be in charge of that. I'm going to rescue. My soul's going down that road of outrage and anger and frustration. I'm not waiting for someone else. I'm the shepherd of my soul, right? I'm going to befriend. I'm going to take charge and get myself back to faithfulness to God, trusting in God's faithfulness. It's a very active word. It's shepherding. It's go get that thing. That's the imagery. So what should we do? It's not wait for someone to get you. Go get you. Get yourself focusing on something else. What does it mean to be faithful? Put, put the phone down. Turn off the news. And let me just soak. And play that song on YouTube this way. Well, don't do it YouTube. Get it on a CD. Does anybody have those anymore? Right, Some way to soak and great is your faithfulness to me. So that's a do. Shepherd. Go after that thing. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight. Yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, what do you delight in? I usually just go right to food, right? I do food. I got my my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law send me a birthday gift belated. Uh, this is this giant uh, foam cooler landed on the porch the other day. And at first I didn't think anything of it because we get some medication every week in a slightly smaller foam cooler. So like, jeez, you know, the box is this big and the cooler's this big, but it's full of ice. But this thing was even bigger. I was like, man, they're really packing that medication in there. No, it was from Omaha Steaks. Mm, anybody ever had one of those packages come to your door? This very nice gift. My in-laws know me. So it's full of delicious things to load in your freezer. So last night we delighted ourselves in steaks and twice baked potatoes and I did make a salad. It was delicious. It was wonderful. I was just enjoying it and savoring. What about the Lord? That kind of idea, delighting, savoring. He's so good. That's what Pastor Mark was leading us to this morning. Let's just think on that thing and focus on that thing. And We can't delight ourselves in the Lord if we're just angry. We just can't do it. You cannot be delighting in the Lord if we're just filled up with everything else. It just doesn't work. So saying, delight in the Lord. I'm going to come back to that second line here in a little bit. Another do. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will commit. It's to put everything on him. I'm going to just put everything on God. He's got my future. He's got all these problems. He sees everything that's going on. I'm just going to do what he wants to do. I'm going to trust him and I'll let him work it out. So you see these verbs? Trust. Wait. Delight commit there's an action and then this last one be still before the lord and wait patiently for him just be still just sit in his presence open your scripture pick a verse look at it journal out what you're thankful for be still how often do we be still uh, Stacy even in class over here turned the timer on for three minutes we gonna have a three minute quiet moment with the high schoolers to hear from God and everyone was like that was long that was three minutes it felt like an hour you know And Brandon kept putting his hand on me I don't know what you're doing he didn't he didn't <laughs> sorry I couldn't resist Brandon but it felt like forever like three minutes quiet forever we have to retrain ourselves to be still and listen Wait for him. Why? Why, why, why? Why does he say this? Why am I doing a whole sermon about this? Well, he said the first reason is that it leads to trouble if we fret ourselves. Do you see that down there in verse 8? Forsake wrath, fret not. It tends only to evil. If we just, we're just going to get ourselves in trouble. Right? It doesn't mean you're going to become like a suicide bomber next week. But I'm just wondering here. This was from a book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, we become what we give our attention to. So we don't get outraged. We just become outraged. We don't get angry. We become angry. How well can you parent if you're outraged and angry? What kind of employee are you if you're outraged and angry? What kind of neighbor are you if you're outraged? And angry. What kind of driver are you if you're outraged and angry? It's going to take us to somewhere we don't want to go. And you people can just get worked up and worked up. And then crazy things do happen. People do go off the deep end, they do go shoot up something, right? Because you've just given ourselves over to this and burned the fire and we become that thing. He says, it's, it's only going to lead you to trouble, all right? There's another why. There's what you become, but then there's what you would miss out on. You would miss out on the real help. If we only focus on what we're mad about, if we're only that, we actually will miss out on the fact. This is our third section here, whoops, that God is in control. God is in control. We would miss that if we don't focus there. I'm going to show you that in two sections. God is in control now and in the future. He's in control right now. It says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." Now, this is a real easy verse to twist, right? I'm going to give my time to God, and I'm going to do my quiet time, and I'm going to peek out in the driveway and see if that brand new Chevy truck just appeared with the big river boat. I, I'm just—he's going to give me the desires of my heart. Now, come on, right? But this is stuff health and wealth that's all over this. Oh, you just give yourself to God, and you're going to get that raise, and you're going to get that promotion, and that's not what this is talking about. The word desire is not the thing you want, the the thing you want to buy, the earthly. The word is really the deep longings of your heart, the urgent requests. That's the word. It's not just, I want this frivolous thing, and I want this new toy, and I want this new device, and boy, if I pay attention to God, he's going to give it to me. No. When you delight in God, your prayers go to God, do you have deep longings? Anybody praying for some kids? Wayward kids? Is that a deep longing of your heart? Your urgent prayer requests? He says, he, you give him Those. And he starts to take care of those. That's not about health and wealth. That's not about getting a bunch of toys in your yard. That's about God coming into that deep place and meeting you there, saying, yeah, I've got this. I see that diagnosis. I see that relational problem. I see that thing going on. And I know you're praying about it. Right? And that's what he says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you those things, the deep things, not the frivolous not the selfish, not the material. It might involve material things, but it's those deep requests. He comes right there. But if we're, we're going to miss that, if all of our time is doing something else, if all of our time is outrage, if all of our time is, is wasted on media, you're just missing all that. Right? It's another thing that he does right now. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. We just experienced this. I shared, some of you were here last week. I shared this summer how in June my daughter was in a terrible hit and run car accident. She was rear ended by a drunk driver, pushed her all the way through an intersection, proceeded to back off the back of her car and drive around her. And then he ended up actually hitting another person on the way home. And so we've been in this long waiting to even talk to his insurance company. Then we finally hear from his insurance company and he denies he was driving. Oh, right, his car just smashed my daughter, and no one was driving. So you're just kind of beating your head against the wall, and then it took forever because he'd hired an attorney. And we were starting to come to the idea that we were just going to lose out. This was my daughter's car, that she paid for the majority of it with her own money. That's a big deal. So she's like, we're going to lose out. Am I just going to get nothing here? And so we were starting to I don't know, just dragging on. And we finally heard from the, the other guy's attorney And he said, we'll make a deal with you. We will give you a direct settlement. And then you sign some papers that says we're satisfied. And then the prosecution just stops. And we're like, oh. This this guy did the terrible things, and he really should see justice. And it's not good for him to live knowing you can drink and drive and be underage and smash into somebody and just get away with it and buy yourself out of trouble. Like that helps no one, and that's so unjust. And he could have. We're just like, no, he should really go through the ju- the justice system. But then we're not going to have a car, and my daughter lost a car, and we're just going to be out of luck. And so we started to get to this place of like. Well, even if the insurance does give us money, it probably wouldn't be as much as that guy would give us. So maybe we just think about ourselves, and it was just, uh, it was this wrestling. And so we committed our way to the Lord, and you said, you know, we don't feel good about settling. We don't feel good about subverting the justice system with kind of a bargain beside the deal. So we just say, well, we're just going to, we're not going to sign any things. We want the prosecution to do what it needs to do, and we're going to let the insurance company do what they do. And then the next week they came through and actually offered us more. The insurance company offers more than their bargain deal. And we just sat back and said, the Lord was in this. He took care of it. It was longer than we wanted and more frustrating than we wanted, but it was better. There's still going to be a legal process that I think is important to learn. And my daughter can have a new, have her car replaced. It was this idea, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. And he will act. And he acted in a better way, in a way that upheld righteousness that we would have subverted if we did our own thing. So trust in the Lord. Trust a lot of times looks like, wait. <laughs> wait. He will act. But if we don't go to him, if we're not focused on him and we're in outrage, you're just kind of bypassing this whole process of the Lord working. It says, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as noonday. This has in view that the thing that you're very upset about is that you're being unfairly accused or labeled. Has that ever happened to you? That you're thought of in a negative light. I think particularly of our students. For many to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, means that you are labeled as hateful, or bigoted, and you think, I'm not those things. But sometimes you get pushed into a category, and you feel that? Maybe even, not just students, it could be any of you, your employers, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, they automatically assume that you're hateful and racist, or whatever. Anybody have that, where you're just like, I'm put into a box, I'm accused, I'm thought of, I, I'm being wrongly labeled, those aren't what represents me, and you want to do something about it, you want to be mad about it, you want, and he says... He's come to the Lord and says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Let let God defend it. Let God work in the situation. It says, and he will put you out in a way that you will shine like the sun in the middle of the day. And so there's a sense if we bypass all that and vindicate our own name and go on a, a, a tirade, whether it's a digital tirade or a real tirade, You just missed all that. You missed the opportunity for God to uphold you, for God to demonstrate. Look at how this person actually lives. Let's look how they live compared to how some other group lives and go, wow, they're actually kind and faithful and responsible, and it starts to shine. So that is God is in control now. He's acting. He answers the deep prayers. He will vindicate you if you're wrongly accused. Let him do it. That's God working now. We don't want to miss that. And he is going to work in the future. He's going to work in the future. Look at verse 2. It's about the wicked. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. This actually allows us to be peaceful, to know that God deals with evil allows me to not. If there is not a God of justice... That brings perfect justice, it actually leaves people in a place, well, if he's not going to do anything, I better. If he if God can't take care of it, well, I'm gonna have to act because it's gonna be unfair when they get to him. But when God says, I'm gonna take care of it, evil doesn't last. Evil doesn't prosper. And so we can say, God's got it. Verse 9: For the evildoers shall be cut off. Cut off. Those not in Christ. Those whose sins are not forgiven will stand for them. And our scripture is very clear. It's eternal judgment in a place called hell, or you can read the descriptions, burning, weeping, gnashing of teeth. That's very, there is a reality to God's judgment. And so there's a sense that seems so unfair right now, and they're getting away with it. No one gets away with it. You either come to Christ and you accept his death on your behalf and he paid the price for your sin and you enter his life. Or you reject Christ and you persist in whatever you're doing and you will be judged for your own sin. And you will be fairly and rightly assigned to hell. It's just that cut and dry. But that lets us take our hand off going, you know what? God's going to deal with it. Evil doesn't last. Right, he says, in just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. It's not going to be eternal. It's not going to be lasting. It doesn't go on forever. Evil has been going on because there's an evil one. But the people don't last. And eventually evil itself and Satan himself will be cast in there. But then there's the positive. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So you have people who are compared to fading like grass and are gone versus inheriting the land. This has got the eternal view. It doesn't mean you get a big farm next week. It means you're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth forever. But the meek shall inherit the land. You can translate land, earth. And Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, those not freaking out and going nuts, just saying, God's got it. I'm trusting in him, and we'll have abundant peace. You're not going to be vexed anymore. We're not going to be around evil anymore. That's the final step of salvation. In Christ, you're saved from the power of sin, and ultimately, we'll be saved from the very presence of it. It'll just be gone in his kingdom. So we don't have to It's temporary. Our lifetime it might feel long, but the things that are troubling us don't last, and God reigns. And so we can say he's going to help us now, and he's going to help in the future. So we want to rescue your soul to the refuge of God. Take it there. Shepherd it there. You're in charge of it. You bring it. You focus. You dwell. I think in terms of a rescue mission versus a walk in the park. When you're walking in the park, you're looking at things, and look at that, and all that person has a dog, and look at that lake, and you're just strolling. That's not a rescue mission, right? I might read my Bible, I might not. I might look at my phone, I might not. I might do something for the Lord, I might not. That's a walk in the park. That doesn't do anything for stopping outrage and breaking the cycle. It just doesn't. A rescue mission is something urgent. Like, something's got to Change. Something's got to change. I was telling this to the group this morning that I'm going to make a plan of attack. Because mine's often when I'm in bed and I'll pull this very laptop out and I'll just scroll through the Apple News feed. Like, that's not helping me go to bed, first of all. And I don't need to do it. And that's not doing anything about soaking in God. So I told them, I'm going to put this in another room, not by my bed, and I'm going to read a psalm at night and meditate on it. So that's a plan of attack. That's I'm going to remove this thing that calls to me, put it somewhere else, and pull out this Bible, which I was telling them, this doesn't have any buttons, right? There's no alerts. There's nowhere else. (laughs) I can just keep reading it. So I'm going to read the paper Bible. That's a plan of attack. I encourage you to have a plan of attack. What am I going to turn off? What do I need to get away from? What do I need to run to? What do I need to fill myself with? It might be really hard at first to stop, And sit with God. So do it for three minutes. Then do it for four minutes. And just begin to build up that sense of, I don't want to be living constantly in outrage and problem and disaster. I want to be soaking in God who's in control, who has the day, has the future, has my present, knows the deep longings of my heart. So I encourage you to actually make a plan of attack. Make a plan of what you want to do. To be alone with God. Why would you to come on up here, worship team? We're gonna worship a couple songs. And I just want us to do a little while they're coming, just a pause, and we'll practice what would it look like to meditate on a scripture. We're just gonna close our eyes right now and I'm gonna read this through multiple times. And this is a practice. I'm just showing you a practice, something you could do this week. You could get you could even use this verse if you want. And you read it, and you pause, and you think about it. And you read it, and you pause, and I want you to be listening. Does a word come to you? Does a particular phrase come to you? Does it meet you somewhere where you're not having peace? So I just want us to close our eyes, and I'm going to practice. This is a practice. This is how you could shepherd your soul, doing this from John 16:33, We're going to close our eyes and just listen. I'm going to read it several times. See what the Lord says. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Is there a word? Is there a phrase, is there a key point there that God's saying that's for you right now? That's me giving you peace. That's me showing you that you can trust me. That's me telling you I've got it. Maybe write it down. Come back to it this week. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world.